Welcome to this week's podcast. My guest on Facing the Canon is Robert Glover, a remarkable man with a remarkable story of putting one million orphan children into homes. Robert Glover, welcome to Facing the Canon. Thank you, yes, it's a pleasure to be here with you. A delight to have you uh, on the programme, Robert. Um, I've read your story, I've read your the story in this amazing book, As Many as the Stars. Well, so I was thinking this morning actually, soccer, submarines, social work. So you grew up in Norfolk and wanted to be a soccer player. Start there. Yeah, well, I think um, as a young boy, many young boys, you you have that aspiration and um, uh, our school team got to the finals, the local city finals, and then having this amazing opportunity to go and train with um, the real team um, and going up there during the week and playing on the weekends, it was, it was my life as a young lad. So um, as a boy, I'd been to see Norwich City in those days, it was all standing and there were big crowds and um, it was, yeah, fascinating. So that was, that was my dream to, you know, run out at Carrow Road in the, the yellow of the, the Canaries. Yeah. And then, but then you went into the Navy and ended up working on submarines. I finished my training in the Royal Navy and you put in a draft preference card where you, you know, what you want to do. And I thought, well, a nice guided missile destroyer that sailing from Plymouth out to the Far East. And of course, my draft came through. Uh, Dear Glover, welcome to the Submarine Command, the elite branch of the Royal Navy as a volunteer. And I thought, I I didn't volunteer for submarines and I don't want to go in them, you know. So I wrote back and said, no, I'm not a volunteer and, um, you know, I I don't wish to serve in submarines. And of course, a letter came back. Uh, Dear Glover, welcome to the Submarine Command, the elite branch of the Royal Navy, as a non-volunteer. So instead of going out to the far shores of the the South China Seas, I was in the Baltic in a diesel electric submarine. (laughs) (laughs) But then back, and tell us how how the whole social work thing opened up. Well, when I came out of the Royal Navy, I came back to Norwich and um, I'd got a job as an accountant. And I really felt sitting in an office with I don't know, those flickering lights that I needed to get out. And um, so I applied for a job um, up in Sheringham. It was, and it was a rather unusual name in those days. It was called Sheringham Court School for Maladjusted Boys. Yes. And these were all the lads that had caused great troubles in, in London and Birmingham and Manchester and sent out to um, the wilds of Norfolk. Um, so that was the start. But then they moved, and um, by that time I'd, I'd, I'd met Elizabeth, you see, so I didn't really want to move to Lincolnshire. So I decided to apply to Norfolk County Council, and I got a job um, in residential social worker there. Now, uh, there's a fascinating story um, that when your um, first child was born, uh, soon after, um, you were diagnosed with a particular disease. Mm. Um, and you were lying in a hospital and you had a, a divine experience. Tell us about that. Yeah, I think so. Um, by this time, I don't think Liz was a Christian. And I, I, I'd become a Christian as a young man. But as many 
um, young people through adolescence and, and during the Navy time, religion can wait, you know, God can wait. And um, I think this is my brick wall. Um, we, Rachel was about six months old and um, I, came, I was at um, university doing um, social work. And one day came home, my, my, my legs were tingling, my hands were tingling. And interesting, Elizabeth was trained to be a nurse. And um, she actually diagnosed my condition to the doctors, which um, is called Guillain-Barre syndrome. Um, and um, I was taken to hospital and I was in intensive care for a long time. Um, and that was an awful place because um, it was a place where people were seriously ill. Yes. And so, you know, I just made friends with a chap next to me and the next morning... He wasn't there, and you know, where's he gone? And oh, uh, he passed away in the night. And uh, and then the, the chap next to me on the other side, you know, had had sort of got into. He was throwing oranges, thinking he was in the war, and it was a. And I remember feeling, oh, I've got to get out of here. Um, and um, it was a struggle, um, and it got to the point, I think, where. Uh, um, with Guillain-Barre syndrome, it, what it is, it's a virus that attacks the myelin sheath around the nervous system. Yes. So the signals are not getting to your muscles and you gradually get wastage. And um, I think it had quite a high percentage in those days of death, if, if not disability. So um, I remember I'd almost lost my uh, mind and my my mother was quite concerned, yes. my wife. And so they, they decided to call, my mother was a Christian, so she decided to call a prayer meeting. And so, of course, my wife went along with it. And uh, um, and I, that morning, they decided they were going to take an x-ray. And so I went down to the x-ray department, sat on the bed in the corridor waiting to go in. And I don't know, you know, in these um, hospitals, they had these flappy doors and the doors opened and this wind came through. I remember just breathing it in and thinking, wow, I feel so good. I sat up and I didn't have a headache anymore and I was feeling really good. And that evening, uh, my mother and Elizabeth came to the hospital and they said, you look so good. I said, yeah, I feel great. I went down for an x-ray and the, the wind came in. I got some fresh air and I feel really good. And they said, what time was that? I said, well, I know exactly because the, the clock was at 11 o'clock. It was right on the wall. And they smiled and they said, what, what are you smiling about? And they said, 11 o'clock, we, we gathered everybody to pray for you. And, uh, and I went back three months later. You know, then went into um, recovery and recuperation. And the doctor, I remember him saying, can I write your case in medical history? It's the quickest recovery on record. We've never seen anybody... See. Um, he said, can you hop on one leg and hop on one? And I yes. thought, why is he asking me these things? Yes. And uh, so he said, um, can you run? I said, well, I played football on Saturday. <laughs> he <laughs> said, I can't believe it. And so, yeah, it went down as um, quite a remarkable crime. And I think that was God saying, well, you're not going to run away from me anymore. This is the time. Sure. Stop. Listen. Um, we've got some things to do. So, so soccer, submarines, social work. Mm. And then you end up in China. Okay, there are lots of little divine appointments, aren't there? 
There are. You know, you arrive at the airport and then somebody comes up to you and gives you two tickets to uh, a meet, an Olympic meeting. Yes. And then at that, you go. Yes. A bit reluctantly, but you go out of curiosity, sit next to a very influential man. Yes. You know, there's lots of little appointments like that all the way along mm. that you can see God's hand yes. almost saying, look, d- trust me, I'm going to connect you. I'm going to make things mm. happen. I often describe it as a bit like a if you go into a big mansion and there's someone smoking a cigar and you go into the room and you can smell the cigar but the window's open or the door's open and it's moved on and as you go you follow this person round the mansion and it was like that in China with God I mean really was we before we left uh, our church prayed for us and a little tiny girl had a picture she she had a picture that uh, we would take an Olympic torch to Yes. Uh, to China. So yeah, I, I didn't forget that, although my friend had. And of course, when we got to Shanghai, this lady comes out and I said, I've got two tickets to the Special Olympic Games. And, uh, and my friend was going, no. I was going, wow, yes, I think we should go. Remember that little girl? She had that. And so that led us into the, the, yes. s- the stadium. And, um, and I was introduced to a senior member of the Communist Party. And I thought, well, I'm in trouble here. You know, I've got to really watch. I'm 007 Christian, you know. Yes. And he was asking me all sorts of questions, which I was avoiding. And then he said something really rather strange. He said, you know, all the work I do for the children is for my father looking out, I think. He's trying to catch me out here. So I carried on for a bit longer. And then he talked about how he was raised in Yunnan province in a mission school. And then during the communist time, he had to, you know, fascinating hearing all about the Cultural Revolution. And I don't know if you've ever had this, but suddenly my heart started to flutter. And before I knew it, my mouth had said the words that I was trying not to. And I I just said, I'm a Christian. I come with a heart to serve. And uh, he said, oh, right. Um, Which hotel are you staying in? I told him. He said, we'll pick you up tomorrow morning at eight o'clock. And I'm still, by this time, I'm thinking, have I done the right thing? And we're walking out of the tunnel of this stadium. And, and my friend had had a great time. Yes. And he turns to me and he said, what's up, Rob? You're looking worried. And I said, well, I'm not sure if you've done the right thing. I said, you know that man who's a senior member of the Communist Party? I've told him we're Christians and he's picking us up at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. And, um, but, of course, he took us to lunch and we had this amazing time. And what I hadn't realized about China, I didn't know anything really about Chinese culture, but there were some other Westerners and they were wagging their fingers at them and telling them off. And I was just loving the food. The food was superb. I was just telling my friends, the Chinese friends, I was thinking, why, why, why are they criticizing? We're, we're guests in their, in their country. Your food is wonderful. And I didn't even know you could make beer. I mean, Qingdao beer is absolutely yes. lovely. And, and, of course, I didn't realize all this went, and they were loving it. They were taking it all in. And what I hadn't realized, I was doing guanxi, which in Chinese means building relationship. Right. You don't go and criticize. You don't get into the business. You enjoy the food. Yes. You enjoy the beer. You enjoy each other before you even talk about it. So by the end of this first meal, the, um, the others were sent away, and uh, I was invited back for dinner. And we had more Chinese food, lovely, lovely, really nice food, and more talk and more discussions. And then they started to open up about children and um, 
what do you think we should do? And, you know, I just said, well, look, the family is really important for children. Children, God made the family for children. And, in, and children need mothers and fathers. Yes. And in, I see in your country, your, your family structure is so strong. Yes. You know, the detail that is in family and, and the, the way you support each other and the way you take care of your parents and the, the, the grandparents is phenomenal. And, and I think children living in institutions, um, uh, uh, you know, there's a positive alternative. We can, we can place them in, in, in families. Yeah. And at that time, Robert, how many children were in orphanages in China? Oh, well, they, 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 they're very different discussions. No, yes. no one ever knows the figures. But, um, of course, later I get to meet the minister and he told me um, they say there's 500,000, but I think it's more closer to 2 million. Yes, and, and, and a significant percentage of those children um, with a disability of some kind. Well, in the early days, many of them were girls, of course. Yeah. Um, because um, there was a one-child policy. And what I think the Western culture doesn't understand about the Chinese culture is it is as important for parents to take care of their children as children taking care of their parents. Now, when you have a daughter, it's a, it's a blessing. Yes. But the daughter, when she marries, takes care of her husband's parents. Yes. So if you have a daughter, when you get old, you've got no one to take care of you. Yeah. If you have a son, then it's your son's yes. wife that takes care of you in old age. So that's why we saw huge numbers of abandonment of, of, of girls. Yes. And, um, uh, I mean, I would, it must have been dreadful for those, those, those mothers and fathers having to get to that point. But um, that was the early days, and then later it was very much around disabled children. Um, and then you, obviously, through all these divine connections, mm. you were given the, the opportunity to help these orphans mm. by putting them into families. Mm. So tell us about that. How what happened well, there? Many years before, I just connect this. Yes, um, uh, a guy called David Devonish had come to our church, and um, there was something mystical uh, for me because I wasn't um, f fully uh, aware of all the spiritual things at that time. But he he was he was a man who had had a prophetic gifting. Yes. I was a bit nervous. I thought I'd sit at the back. Anyway, he came through and he prayed with me. And he said, I really sense, Robert, that you're going to be father to as many children as there are stars in the sky. And I thought to myself, well, that, that's rather strange. You know, I, I, at the time I had six children and I was doing youth work. So you tend to kind of put it in your subconscious. Um, by the time we had got through these the, the, this this final dinner, they invited me back. Would I come to help them? And I thought, well, yes, I you know I could go home and talk to Liz, and we could take some books and some videos. Yes. And then by the second trip, um, it became very evident they wanted us to go and live there and and work with them to develop family placement. So it was December, two nineteen ninety seven. And we're having a dinner again. Every always have a dinner. Always yes, have food. Always, yeah. Yep, always. Hospitality. Yep. So the first half an hour, you don't even talk. It's all um, 
keeping those friendships and catching up. And uh, then they said, um, so we want you to come and be our consultant. We think it's quite funny because we've got a one-child policy. And you've, you've got, got six, six children. children. <laughs> yeah. um, but however, uh, we want to give you a Chinese name. So they spent a bit of time talking, hadn't got a clue, didn't understand anything that they were saying. And then one chap stood up and he said, look, in China, it's really important to tell you what your name means in Chinese because that's um, the way we do it in our culture. And he said, uh, your Chinese name means as many stars there are in the sky, you'll be father to children in China. Subconscious comes to the fore. I remembered that man that came to Guernsey. This is where I've got to be. Yeah. Um, and so they were wanting us to move. Um, we did as a family. We moved eight of us to Shanghai from Guernsey, 58,000, to, to Shanghai, 18 million at the time, um, to be a consultant to the Shanghai government um, to help them initially place 500 children from the institution into local Shanghai oh, initially only 500? Initially only 500. That was the pilot project funded by the British government. That, that all came, that was very um, strange because I'd been on one trip to China. We talked about this. I think it was the December trip. Went back, phone call rings. We want you in uh, the foreign office. Uh, they sat down and said the Chinese want you. They've there. asked for you. In the, as their consultant. So if you go, we'll, we'll fund it. We'll fund it through Department of National Development. And so um, suddenly all these pieces start to come into place. And But yeah. it wasn't just 500 children. No. I, I mean, you have been doing this for how many years now? So 20 years. We had the 20th anniversary in 19, uh, sorry, 2008. And how many children have you been able to put into families? Mm. So what happened, the pilot project went, we had to yeah. move to Beijing, because the pilot project was successful. The Beijing government asked if we'd move up, we rolled it out nationally. Uh, 2014, the law changed, that families were priority. 2018, um, they, uh, we had a conference in, in Shanghai and they said 85% of children now living in families, over a million children. Over a million? Over a million children now living in families. In families um, at, called fostering. Fostering adoption, yeah. Long term. Long term. These and are forever homes. many of the children with disabilities, and there's a lovely story about one village with yes. a number. Tell us about that. So... Um, a few years back, um, Francis Chan, uh, some people may know yes. him, contacted me and said, I'd love to go to China. I want to hear and feel what's going on with the Chinese church. And by this time, I got lots of friends in very different cities. Um, interestingly, we went first to Beijing and word had got out there was a famous American pastor in the service. And there were lots of young people, maybe, I don't know, they were... Lots of people in this service. We sat at the back. We, that was Francis's. He wanted to do just listen. He didn't want to, to, to make any um, waves. And at the end of the service, all these young people come running to the back and they ran past Francis Chan. They came to me. Yes. And they said, will you sign your book? Yes. I said, well, I haven't written a book. 
They said, yes, you have. Purpose-driven life. Yeah. They thought they thought the famous Christian pastor was Rick Warren, and I was Rick Warren, and Francis was giving me a bit of a yeah. look. So for the rest of the trip, yes. yeah, come on, come on, Rick, you know. And we went then to many cities: Shanghai, Chengdu, Wuhan, and ended up in uh, this village in Yunnan province. I yes. wanted him to see a little bit of what we do. We'd done a lot of that, and then when he got into this village. It's a Christian village, ethnic minority um, farmers that had read their Bible and discovered they should take care of widows and orphans. And 70 families had taken 120 disabled children into their families. That's incredible. Absolutely incredible. CBN called it um, City on a Hill. Yes. Francis said, you know what, I think this is probably the, the, the most beautiful uh, group of people I've ever seen in my life. Yes. And he said, you, every morning we wake up and we think about, you know, oh, I've got to clean my teeth or, you know, I've got to get dressed or I've got to have a wash or I've got to answer my phone. He said, they immediately get up and attend to these children. Yes. He said, I've never seen anything like it. He said, this is why I came to China. This is why God told me to come to China. And, and they are an amazing group of people um, and really the sort of tip of the iceberg of what's happened right across China. And you've expanded, Robert. You're, like, you've got, gone into some other countries as well. Yes, again, I mean, uh, very extraordinary. We, after the tsunami, uh, we were invited down by the, the Thai government and I met with the minister. It became hev really heavy water, uh, lots of negotiation. And then we were having a, um, a, a conference in Bangkok and... Um, um, a friend of mine who is who was the PA for Prince Michael. He yes. brought Prince Michael over and he did a speech and we got a message that we'd been given an audience with the King of Thailand. Yes. Uh, that is pretty yes. major, in Thailand anyway. And so I remember um, the week before I was in a smelly orphanage, jeans and, and flip-flops and, and here I was in Bangkok and we were going to inspect all the generals of the Thai army. Yes. Uh, walking behind Prince Michael. And um, and then I knew the king's palace was down in Hua Hin. It was about a five-hour road journey. It was getting dark. I was thinking, you know, we, we, I was saying to one of the, the generals, we need to get going. And they said, oh, no, 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 you're going in, in that over there. I said, Look, and there was a Black Hawk helicopter. Yes. And so we fly down over the jungle, you know, with, with two commandos on the outside, <laughs> land into a gold Rolls Royce and into the king's palace. Yes. And uh, we spent a short time with the king. Prince Michael talk, told him about what, what we were doing. He came in and he said, Robert, I want this to happen in Thailand. Yes. And the next day the minister rang and we signed the contract. Amazing. It was Again, just, more divine appointments. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, we'd been in six months of negotiation, lots of bureaucracy, and it, it literally happened in, in, in the next day. And so... Um, we've been able to work right the way through Thailand in all their institutions, in all their um, shelters. And so now we're seeing children growing up in families where they should be. So as you look back, um, Robert, and, you know, tried to do soccer, yeah. <laughs> went to some Marines, yeah. did a little bit of social work, yeah. uh, Guernsey to China, and you, you've already helped over a million children, mm. expanding to some other 
countries in Asia,、mm. um, and you've seen God's miraculous hand、mm. all the way through that.、Uh, as you look back.、Um, Um, how does it make you feel about what God is trying to do? I think you know it, the glory goes to God. There's no way anyone knows、uh, Robert Glover or my family know that there's huge limitations wouldn't happen. So the glory goes to God, and I think the only thing we can say is that we had faith. So we were in that place at Stoneley where we wanted to go and do something. We were ready and we were obedient when God showed us where to go. Um, it wouldn't have been perhaps Arch, the rest of the family's choice, you know, to go to Shanghai, but very clearly God called us there, and so I think it was about faith and obedience of getting to that place. And the important thing for children, I think, I always recall one story: a little boy uh, in uh, Guizhou in southern China, and、um, I we were halfway through this journey. And I, they were starting to rebuild some of the orphanages, and I went to this orphanage. And it was beautiful, and it got you know great food, and they all wore nice uniforms, and they were they were you know I was thinking, are we doing the right thing? These kids are going into these very poor villages.、Um, anyway, we took the minibus into the village, and the minibus obviously had its the orphanage name on the side. And when I got out the, the minibus, it was just. Tiny little Chinese boy, in a little pair of shorts, shoes that didn't fit him, and a and a t-shirt, and he'd got a bamboo stick, and he was going to fight me. He was so angry. He was really trying to hit me with his stick, and I was saying, well, "What? What? What? Why is he so angry?" And someone translated his words. He said, "You see that tree there?" He said. Yesterday, I climbed to the top of the tree, and all the village came out. They all know my name. They called me down. Everybody thinks about me and, and cares for me, and they try to get me down at the tree. And you say, "You see this dog here? It's my dog. It belongs to me." And over there, when I go across those fields, that's my school, and my dog waits for me. And when I come out of school, my dog follows me home. And Auntie, there, she gives me biscuits every day. Uncle, he always gives me an apple. I'm not going back to that orphanage. He thought they had brought me in the minibus. Yes. To grab him and take him back、yes. to the orphanage, but he had everything in that village. He had、yes. his identity. Everybody knew his name. Nobody knows children's names in institutions. Everybody、uh, took care of him. He had his own dog. He went to school like other children. He had mother and father, brothers and sisters, and that identity was far more important than going to any orphanage or institution. And I, that, that just—I thought, that's it. That's, that's the story. It. That's, that's the story. That's God's story. That、yeah. is so heartwarming.、Yeah. Robert Glover, thank you so much for joining us on Facing the Canon. Pleasure. Wow, isn't that inspiring? I just—I I just love the, the the simplicity of Robert's story.、Um, he and his wife and his six children living. Quite comfortably in Guernsey,、uh, and being called to go to China、um, to help, like a whole generation of children,、um, be taken into families and loved and cared for, and uh, I'm sure uh, that's warmed your heart. It definitely has warmed my heart.、Um, 
as many as the stars. This is the detailed story. Um, it's gripping. Um, I couldn't put it down. Um, so pick up a copy and read the detailed story. Hope you've had a faith lift today with Robert Glover on Facing the Canon. Thank you so much for joining us. Please join us again. You've been listening to the J. John Podcast. To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media. Heroes of the Faith is a new podcast by J. John and his wife, Killy. Sign up today to hear the incredible stories of some of J. John's heroes of the Christian faith and the lessons we can learn from their lives. Hear about Harriet Tubman, who after escaping from a life of slavery in the USA, went on to rescue over 300 other slaves. John Bunyan, whose book, The Pilgrim's Progress, has sold more copies than any other book other than the Bible and inspired millions of people around the world. George Muller, who helped tens of thousands of children whilst leaving a lasting legacy of trust in God's provision. Ever wondered who saved more lives than anyone else on earth? Listen to the story of Edward Jenner, the Christian doctor who discovered vaccination. With a new story to be told each week, sign up now to hear J. John's Heroes of the Faith.